Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest, a returning guest. His name is Frank Stanfield. Last name is spelled S-T-A-N-F-I-E-L-D. And we spoke last year, 2021, about a fascinating book on a subject I really wanted to know more about. He has a first-person knowledge of what's known as maybe the Vampire Clan, Kentucky Vampire Clan. The title of his book that we talked about previously is Cold-Blooded. A True Crime Story of a Murderous Teenage Vampire Cult. And you can go back through my archives. I may just take it out and republish it along with this book that he just published in 2022. The title of that is Vampires, Gators, and Wackos, A Newspaperman's Life. And a uh, really interesting book with a lot of first-person stories of his interesting life as a newspaperman, which he worked for for 40 years, working for the Ocala Star Banner, the Orlando Sentinel, the Wilmington Star News, Daily Commercial, and the Augusta Chronicle. And his first book was Unbroken, the Dorothy Lewis Story. He received a master's degree in journalism from the University of Georgia and a bachelor's degree in political science from the University of North Florida. He was a sergeant in the Air Force during the Vietnam era. He lives in Central Florida with his wife, Jackie. They have three daughters and seven grandchildren. His website is his full name, frankstanfield.com. And you can contact him on there. But again, we're going to talk about this new book, he just published Vampires, Gators, and Wackos, a Florida newspaperman's life. So Frank Stanfield, welcome back to the show. Thanks for agreeing to the interview. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So for people who may not have heard our earlier discussion about cold-blooded, can you you have 40 years experience as a newspaper man going through that industry? Maybe you could just start at the beginning and uh, go all the way back and tell, tell some of these stories. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I... Um... This is a book about a collection of different things that happened. And I've got one chapter in here that's called In the Beginning. And talk about the first paper I worked at was the Augusta Chronicle. And, you know, the newspaper business has changed a heck of a lot over the years. Um, back in those days, in the 70s, when I first started, it was kind of like the golden era, you know. Uh, newsrooms were big. Newspapers were very powerful voice. Um the newsrooms were full of people and the technology has changed quite a bit. So uh, I was uh, kind of new to the business and uh, it was a real eye opener for me. We I, So I talk about some funny things in this book, too. There's a lot of serious, um, terrible crimes and stuff that I talk about. But I also talk about some of the funny things. Um, one of the things that uh, that happened at, at the first paper was. Uh, I, I was back from covering City Hall and typing away a story, and um, I heard the news editor throw down uh, this big metal ruler uh, and said, hot dog, I got a front page now. He says, Elvis is dead. So that's how long I've been doing this crazy work. Right, that's what, 78? Is that right? Yes. Yes, all right. Gotcha. So it goes all the way back. So how, how did you even get your start? Why did you decide to become a newspaperman? I always wanted to write and, um, you know, the great writers, Ernest Hemingway and all those folks start, got started uh, writing for, for newspapers. So I said, that's good training. Um, I didn't know at the time I was going to spend my whole career, you know, as a newspaper guy. In fact, uh, after that first job, I, <laughs> that's a wonder I did. But um, I went back to school, majored in journalism. I got my master's in journalism, I should say. And I, I just love the business. I love it because no two days are alike. 
um, you get to meet really interesting people and cover really interesting stories. So that's why I did it. I stayed with it. Gotcha. So you kind of bounced around your whole career in Florida, correct? That's right. Almost all of it in Florida. And you, I mean, just to tie in that book that you wrote about the uh, Rod Farrell, you were there in, I think it was Orlando, right? Where one of the deaths took place. Is that correct? I worked for the Orlando Sentinel at the time in 1996 when this story broke. Um, and the, the first time I ever wrote the words um, vampire cult, um, my fingers actually stopped over the keyboard because I'm going, is this for real? I mean, this is crazy. Even in Florida, which is known for its craziness. Um, but yeah, it was for real. These um, these kids were in a, a vampire cult. They were drinking each other's blood and all this crazy behavior. And they came down from Kentucky to pick up one of their members here in Central Florida and killed her parents. And then she left with them and they were arrested three days later. And uh, so it was like, well, okay, what did she have to do with this? Was she responsible somehow? Did she sit, was she a participant or was she a, a kidnapped or what? And especially at first, the, the cops just didn't know what they were dealing with. So that's kind of the mystery that kind of runs through this whole story. Um, so that's, that's one of the that's, things that happens. Right. That's your intro kind of chapter of, is really following this case through its through the legal process, right? Right. Yeah, including his resentencing hearing, he applied for resentencing. So, um, because the Supreme Court, they keep moving the ball. Uh, you know, they said uh, at the time, initially he was sentenced to death. And the Florida Supreme Court says, no, that's, he's too young. He's only 16. So we can't do that. The only other alternative was mandatory life. And then uh, the U.S. Supreme Court later said, no, he's a juvenile at the time, so we can't do that. So he was entitled to a resentencing um, in 2019, 2020. Um, and so, you know, I followed that through also. And I've talked with the family. I've talked with uh, uh, his family. And his family, uh, during the first trial, the initial trial, there was a psychologist who said, this is the most dysfunctional family I've ever dealt with. And he had dealt with over 700 um, cases. Right. And that was, it was like the mother was uh, involved in witchcraft with Rod Farrell, right? Right. Yeah. She was in this whole vampire thing and she got arrested for um, trying to solicit a 14 uh, year old boy. Uh, for sex during a, a vampire uh, initiation. So she got busted for that. Right. I mean, it, that is a very strange story. And uh, so it's still really going on today. I think Rod Farrell's like 42 and didn't get the death. Everybody else got life or something, but he got the death penalty, right? Right. Well, the girls, he came down with two girls and they, they got various sentences. One of them got 17 years. One of them got 20 I think it was some, something like that. And so they're out, the two girls, including his girlfriend at the time. But this other boy that went in the house with him um, also got life because he was afraid he was going to get the death sentence. So he pleaded out and got a life sentence. 
Well, since then, since the Supreme Court has changed the, the rules, uh, he did get resentenced to uh, 40 years. So, right, so he's never getting up. Vasajo was his name or whatever. I mean, yes. that's, that's a really amazing story. And uh, what other kind of things have you come across? You've come across some uh, teachers who gotten a little too close to their students. You've got you have some underage love stories, missing millionaires. What, what would you like to talk about next? Well, we talk about uh, uh, Deb Lefebvre, who was uh, when I was working in Ocala. Um, she was a beautiful, I mean, model beautiful. She had done modeling. Beautiful young woman, married, um, was a teacher, and she had sex with a 15-year-old student, not once, but a couple of times, including while uh, his underage uh, cousin drove down the highway. So, and she got caught, of course, it all came out. And and so his, she had a lawyer, uh, he came up with a really unique defense at one point. He says, look, he says, um, she's too pretty to go to jail. It'll be like throwing meat into a, to a lioness pit, you know. So that got a lot of attention. She got on Dateline, she blamed the boy. Uh, it was just a complete mess. But uh, that that one made international or you know national headlines too. It really did because she was blonde, beautiful, and it, I remember seeing that on the media. How did that turn out? Did she end up in jail? What what happened to her? No, because what happened was um, the, the boy's mother didn't want to go to trial because it would expose him. Like his name would be everywhere, especially in Great Britain and the tabs and stuff. We weren't going to publish his name, but. She says, he just leave him alone. He, he needs to have a normal childhood, what's left of it. Just leave him alone. So she got probation. And then um, she applied to get off of the probation early. And a judge granted it. And then the appeal court says, no, you can't do that. So she's, she was on probation for a while. So she got a lucky break. And she was married, too. I think she got a divorce, right? I mean, where is yes. she now? She She's not teaching anymore, right? No, she's not. They yanked her license. So, I, And she got pregnant um, and got married again to somebody else. So She's under a different name. She, yes, she's all. Exactly. And then, can you talk about the missing millionaire? What's the story behind that? This was a interesting case in Leesburg. Um, this fellow, Neil Haber, was a millionaire developer and um, he comes up missing. He's supposed to, he comes, he flies in from Mexico, by the way, with his girlfriend, he was married. He flew down to Mexico with her, comes back and uh, stops and sees somebody and it's that his former uh, daughter-in-law basically sees her because he's helping her out money. And then he comes home and then the stepson is there and he hears, he says he hears pop, pop, pop and some conversation and two cars and they drive away and he wipes down blood on the, on the wall of the garage, and throws a bloody tarp into a dumpster at a construction site where his dad was building a place. But he doesn't report it for like the whole weekend. And then he tells all these conflicting stories. and It doesn't make any sense. And um, so 
But it's a case where the cops just mess it up left and right. And as the investigation gets on, the detectives uh, try to get information from uh, the widow and from this business partner. But they it looks bad because they're whining and dining them and trying to get them to talk. It looks just really bad and unprofessional. And the mystery is the man had ties to business people that were dealing with the mafia. Um, he had uh, women problems. Um, he had all kinds of uh, liquid money accounts and his business associates were had access to some of that. So the list of suspects was huge, but the stepson, everything points to the stepson uh, and basically the killer gets away with it. It's amazing. It's an extreme story. Florida has the strangest kind of stories. A lot of like missing children, too, that you've covered as well, right? Yeah, those are the saddest ones. Uh, there was one, uh, Trenton Duckett, who was two years old. His mother calls, um, this is another Leesburg case. His mother calls the police and says, my son is missing. I went to go check on him in his bedroom and he's missing. And... Uh, so the dispatcher says, oh, well, what was he wearing and what's going on? And she couldn't tell him. So I don't, don't remember whatever. And then um, so the story gets out, missing child. Um, she's not cooperating very well with the police. She's not uh, she's blaming everything on her ex-husband or estranged husband, I should say. And um, she tried to frame him by sending fake emails and all kinds of so she was a really twisted individual. So um, then Nancy Grace calls uh, for, on her television show. And Nancy says, well, what was the child wearing? What were you doing uh, the day before and the hours leading up to his disappearance? Well, she never really would say. And so very vague. And, and Nancy Grace says, well, I'm just basically she was saying, I'm just trying to help, you know, people find this child, you know, you're not telling me anything. The next day before the interview uh, is aired, uh, the mom kills herself. So where's the boy? Was Did she hand him off to somebody? Did she kill him and bury him in the forest, in the Ocala forest, um, or what? And it's got, this is another strange thing is because the child's grandfather is on death row. He was a rookie cop back in 87, and um, he is a suspect in a disappearance of an elementary school girl who ends up dead, floating in, the, in a lake, had been raped. So that's, uh, he's in, you know, James Duckett is his name. So, that's an odd twist right there. Obviously, he didn't have anything to do with his disappearance, but it's just another weird thing. It's like a cursed family or something like that, like horrible. And she was in the middle of a custody battle, right? With, yes. Uh, Trenton. Yes, so. and she was doing all kinds of manipulating with the, the police and everybody else to try to throw the blame on him. It was right, great. So she was... Yeah, and there were other ones too. I mean, you covered another case where somebody, Akela, disappeared. So there's like, 
there's all kinds of so many stories down there and also involving bodies and people disappearing in the uh in the swamp right yes well kayla you mentioned kayla kayla mckean that was on a thanksgiving uh afternoon um man calls and says my daughter's missing she was on the playground well hundreds of volunteers show up to help look for her, and the search goes on for like three days well it turns out he's the one that killed her um, he didn't even know that she existed for the first four years of, of her life. And this is a case where the, the child welfare system failed every way you can, just miserably. It's failed so badly that they ended up changing all the laws. A lot of people got fired. Um, it was just an awful thing. So in Florida, the child welfare system is a fragile thing. I had a judge tell me one time, he says, some people shouldn't own a dog, let alone have a child. Uh, so, but it's like, I don't know, how can you really control human behavior? But they have let down uh, so many people by, they were just faking uh, uh, visits and things and writing it down like it happened and they didn't. So it's, it's real scandalous. Yeah, so there's like just a lot of chaos down there that you've seen. And I mean, the Gators are also a consistent theme in Florida too, right? Can you talk about, like you talked, there's 1.3 million Gators and they're causing mayhem, right? Yeah. Uh, I've actually, one of the first stories I covered um, in Central Florida was a elderly woman had dementia. She walks out of her house and basically falls into the jaws of an alligator into a lake. Uh, called Lake Serenity, of all things. So that was one of the first things that I did. And so I talk in there about how alligators um, will kill people. And that there was a case where um, a small child was was attacked by an alligator, killed. And uh, so after that happened, the Sentinel, we had a, a cable show. And we went on and um, we wanted to do a story about alligators and how they how they live and how they do their thing. So we went out with the game and fish people on an airboat and uh, a three footer swam up to the boat. Just curious, you know, so the game and fish guy says, you want me to catch him? We said, sure. Cameras rolling. Right. So he grabs him and uh, holds him and we're filming and I'm asking questions and the wind is blowing us out into the middle of, of the lake. And there's like thousands of alligators in this lake, Lake Griffin. So we get out kind of in the middle of the lake and we're done. And he said, well, I can't let him out here because he'll be eaten by the bigger alligators. So he says, here, you hold him. I'm going to say what now? <laughs> so, I, so I had to hold him all the way back to shore. And I thought the photographer was laughing so hard. I thought she was going to fall overboard. But, um, but they are just mean, green killing machines. And people do the dumbest things. The worst thing they do is they feed them, okay? And then they lose their fear of people. Um, but then they will be coming up and looking at you as food instead of just somebody to be afraid of. So it's a bad thing. Right. And uh, there are hunters, too. You're allowed to hunt the gators down there, right? Aren't there hunting permits? There, yeah. So you can get a special permit. There's a, a short uh, season. And what they do is they go out on a boat at night. And they'll shine a flashlight out on the water and you see 
their eyes turn look red on a flashlight. And you can kind of tell how big they are by how far apart the eyeballs are. But that's kind of deceptive, too. So they go out there in these shallow little John boats and that kind of thing. And they they do a, different things. They'll put a harpoon in them or they'll um, they'll do a, a, a what they call a bang stick. It's got a, a shotgun shell. I'm um, excuse me, a 44 caliber shell in there and hit the gator in the head with it. They'll drag the alligator. Well, sometimes they'll the alligator will take off with a harpoon and drag you all over the lake. And then sometimes um, you think the thing is dead and you put it in the boat and then they quote unquote come to life again, start thrashing around and trying to take a hunk out of the, of the people that put them in the boat. It gets pretty exciting, I think, sometimes. Right. I mean, it's really incredible. I mean, I don't know if there's any state in the union, maybe Alaska, that has more dangerous animals than Florida, right? Right. I talked to a shark expert in here, too. I talk about shark attacks and it's not not that unusual. Um, you know, they have these uh, I've got a son in law that was uh, bitten by a shark while he was surfing. That's kind of a, um, a common thing out here. Uh, Lake, uh, excuse me, New Smyrna Beach. They call it the shark bite capital of the world or some such a thing. But the shark expert I talked to says, well, listen, he says uh, people are now. Um, killing the sharks and cutting their fins off because it's a delicacy in some countries. So he says, who's, who's the predator and who's the loser now? So kind of interesting. So it's sharks. So you've got gators, sharks. You also have uh, snakes too, right? Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of snakes here. And um, when years ago, uh, one of the guys uh, at the daily commercial was taking a break outside and he says, oh, look, a baby snake. And he picks it up. Well, it was a pygmy rattler. And it bit him. And his arm swole up about twice uh, its size. And uh, he almost lost his arm. And I uh, had a neighbor that was bitten by a water moccasin. They're very aggressive. He, he lived on a canal. So this moccasin just sought him out and bit him. So you, uh, you have to be really careful out there. Right. So you've got the pythons and there's bears in, in uh, Florida too, right? Oh, oh, yes. A lot of bears. Um, and what the problem with those guys are is they they get in people's neighborhoods and they're looking through people's garbage. All right. So uh, the old lady with her little fluffy dog takes her takes the dog out for a walk at night and the bear will attack the woman to get to the dog because you know there's natural enemies so people get hurt really bad sometimes by those things although in the forest ocala national forest people have these pet pot pigs and that kind of thing and the bears love those things so uh livestock well we've got coyotes we've got and in the everglades especially people have these uh, have let go uh let little pythons and stuff become giant creatures um and they kill people uh they one case in sumter county over here there was a these people had two snakes and the, one of them got out and killed a child it was like ridiculous oh, wow. oh that's terrible and then florida has a share of like the most dangerous animal of all right man right? that's can right you talk, can you talk about some of your experiences and, and stories with 
you know, the crazies that are out there. Yeah. You know, I've got a couple of chapters in here. One of them's called um, uh, Ruthless. Uh, and it's like one Saturday uh, afternoon, I'm at home, uh, minding my own business. I wasn't feeling all that great. I mean, not nothing serious or anything, but I was just not like, I'm like, thank God I don't have to work today kind of thing. And the phone rings and the editor says, well, I think there's a double shooting, uh, maybe three people shot in a store somewhere. Um, let me call you right back. And then the next thing I know is, okay, it was a bank robbery and one person at least is dead. So I get, I forget about all my little troubles and jump in the car and drive over there and the helicopter air rescue choppers taken off in the parking lot. And there's some people like freaking out in the, in the parking lot and just holding their heads and screaming and, you know, relatives and family and that kind of thing. So I asked the most highest ranking police officer I could find. I said, what's going on? He said, well, there were two tellers that were shot. We got the guy, but um, they're both dead. So I go back to the office and write the story like both tellers dead, police say. And then I get a call from the office downtown in Orlando saying uh, one of them's still alive. So we had to change that. But they even told the teller's boyfriend that she was dead. So they messed that up. But um, that was just an awful thing because the idiot um, was still in the bank trying to rip the uh, video uh, security camera video out of the box and standing next to big trash cans full of thousands of dollars just standing there with two guns and uh, the woman that lived was paralyzed for life so she testified and so she goes the moment in the courtroom you could heard a pin drop she comes down the middle of the aisle with her electric wheelchair you know, there she is, and she is an eyewitness, and she's going to say, this is what he said. He said, which one of you guys wants to die first? And then this guy, Fred Anderson, the defendant, his defense, he takes the stand. He's He sings in a church choir, and he sings a song about mercy. And the prosecutor says, well, you don't deserve any mercy. You didn't show any mercy to these ladies here. So just the just the dumbest criminals, the, the most outrageous uh, stuff you can imagine. Right. He got the death penalty, right? He's still on death row or something, right? For yeah, that's right. right. Yes, he is. So, I mean, that's uh, fortunately, that's not the only story of drugs and murders and everything. I mean, there's just so many of those types of stories in Florida, right? Right. Another one is um, a Jane Doe. Um, this guy's walking through this forest, a Seminole Woods forest, and he sees a pile of brush, and then he sees what he thinks is a mannequin's foot, and it turns out to be a, a woman's foot, and she's dead, and she's so mauled up that she, the rumor immediately goes out that she'd been attacked and mauled by a bear. Well, she wasn't, because when the crime scene people get out there, um, he says, well, no, this person that killed this lady was um, 
not a not a bear, bear right. a different kind of killer, a man. And he the the killer had posed the woman to point her finger towards um, some place on her body where a broken bottle was jammed in, and it was just awful. You know, she'd been tortured. So this case was interesting because the cops had no clue as to who it was. They did recover some DNA from the attacker because she'd been raped. But um, it, it took a couple of years before the crime scene analyst was feeding this DNA information into the, this new crime computer. And all of a sudden there pops up a, a name with it um, and they identify a convicted rapist. So there's your guy. Okay, and that was the first time that ever happened in the country. And mm -hmm. so they have the big trial. But the um, the DNA, which was kind of new at that time, uh, kind of went over the heads of the jury because the guy that's presenting the evidence was really dry. But um, fortunately for the prosecution, they had also called in a bite mark expert. And this guy had uh, helped put... Um, uh, Bundy, Ted Bundy, put, Ted put him Bundy. away. So um, he, uh, the jury was interested in what he had to say. So th they convicted the guy, but we still don't know who she was. And I would love one day to be able to put her picture out or whatever and, and get her identified because she, somebody's daughter, somebody's mother, um, you know, whoever she was, whatever she was doing, uh, she didn't deserve what happened to her. That's for sure. Right. And I mean, it's just it's just something particular to Florida where there's like missing persons and deaths and uh, serial killers. What other kind of crazy wackos do you recall that uh, left an imprint in, on you enough to put them in the book? Oh, there's so many. Um, well, you know, like there's another case. Now, this is a, this shows you how Florida has changed. Well, especially in my county, Lake County which is about 45 miles north of uh, Orlando and Disney World. It used to be all citrus. I mean, lots of citrus. Then they had some terrible freezes in the 80s uh, that killed the trees off, basically. So then uh, they started developing the land for houses. So basically, Lake County is kind of a bedroom community for um, Orlando and also home for a lot of retirees. So um, one of the things that happened before all this got too built over was um, there's a place called Wall Sink. And so basically a sinkhole. Now sinkholes in Florida, they can swallow houses. And, and in fact, they, in Winter Park back in the early 80s, it, it swallowed a whole block, a, a car dealership, a swimming pool, um, houses, you know, the whole thing. So they can get big. So there's this historic place called Wall Sink, historic um, sinkhole that all the crooks for years have dumped all their evidence, or their guns and everything else dumped in there. So there were these two ranch guys and these ranch hands were rustling cattle. They were stealing cattle from this rancher and they killed the rancher and his new foreman and dumped their bodies in this wall sink. Well, one of them got a conscience 
and uh, especially when he was being you know questioned by the police. So he he fessed up because the investigator says, you know what's going to happen to those bodies in the water, meaning alligators. So he, he had a guilty conscience and he, he fessed up. So that's uh, an old Florida story, wrestlers, uh, cattle wrestlers. I mean, you, you got it all down here. You really do. You really do. You really do. And talking about water, it's like there's a huge water culture out there and the boats are another element of danger, right? Yes. Um, they will, I remember one case where uh, a dad and his two little girls were in a boat and they fell out of the boat somehow. And the boat turns, what happens is unless you have a uh, device that automatically cuts off the, the motor when you fall out of the boat, it will circle back around and hit you. So it chewed up the dad pretty bad. And I, I was on a boat, a bass boat one time doing a story and I was almost thrown out of the boat because we hit a, uh, I was on the St. John's River, which is really wide in places and can get uh, real choppy real fast. But um, so we were thrown in the air, but basically uh, he had one of those cutoff switches. So we were okay. So right, it's, yeah, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, there's just so many stories of people losing their lives in the water or boating accidents in Florida, right? Yeah. Um, there were several members of the uh, Cleveland Indians uh, down here for spring training several years ago. Uh, they ran into a dock, um, killed That's at least right. one of them. I remember. They were so, going super fast, right? Yes. And at, yeah, at night, and uh, people, for some reason, uh, like to drink a lot on boats. And being out on the water in the sun and drinking uh, just accelerates the, the problem, you know. So there's all kinds of uh, issues with that and sometimes the law enforcement is part of the problem too right yeah Can you talk uh, about one, one one of the funny things um there was a a guy that um was the the game and fish people i think it was and we we're trying to stop this guy from going too fast in a no wake zone or something and he says you don't know who i am or whatever and then he jumps off the boat and um so then the the officials catch up with a boat and question everybody and threaten them with uh, going to jail. if They don't tell who the captain was. And this lady says, that was my husband. <laughs> so they caught him. <laughs> so, yeah. So there's a lot of, I mean, just being in Florida for 40 years at a newspaper, you're probably just never bored, right? Never. Yeah. Uh, and really I've, you know, I hate to say it, um, I used to say, well, I think I've seen it all until the vampires, but, um, but then, then again, um, I, you know, who knows what's going to happen. I, since this book has come out, uh, there've been some other really crazy things that have happened that may end up in a future book. So, right. I mean, just and you, kind of, you kind of went through, like you talked about at the intro of this discussion, kind of the heyday. And then the newspapers did kind of lost their, kind of their importance with the rise of the internet, right? So Yeah, they were slow. The business was slow to get into it, into the internet. They didn't know what to do. Should they sell ads? How do they sell the ads? Should they charge for subscriptions or not? And and all that business. And uh, they got overtaken. And uh, there have been so many layoffs and uh, 
shrinkages and so on. Um, it was, uh, it's just, it's just unfortunate. And, and really it's bad because newspapers cover um, city hall and all those important things, tax increases and all that, that the TV people don't, they don't cover. Not yeah, those beat kind of reporters used to be on the ground. There's kind of citizen reporters that do it now, but they don't have the backing of that local newspaper, you know, that used to do all the stuff. Maybe in a big city they they are, but in the smaller towns, a lot of those uh they're all shrank, you know. They all got smaller and smaller. Those, yeah. Those and they're not trained and they they're they've got a an axe to grind too. You know, social media is like a landmine out there. So. Twitter is just a bunch of people screaming at each other. So yeah. it's like the, the character of it all has really kind of changed. It is. Um, Frank, is there anything you'd like to add or anything I missed or anything you'd like to kind of wrap up with about what other people can see in this book when they get it, Vampires, Gators, and Macos? Well, I hope uh, they see that um, the, the not only just the strange, you know, Florida man you know, kind of thing, but... Um, I'd also talk in there about uh, how the police, some of them are heroes and some of them are dogs. Uh, I talk about a case where they um, they tried to cover up a homicide. I got a, a tip that it was uh, somebody that didn't die of natural causes. So I did investigative stories and got the victim dug up and uh, a guy confessed and was convicted of murder. So um, it's interesting what goes on out there. You really got to... Um, you got to put your thinking cap on. And uh, I, I've just been blessed really to, to be in this business because like I say, it's, I don't know where else um, you can have such an interesting uh, everyday life. Right. Everyday life. And there's a lot in this book. I think it's over 500 pages, at least the Kindle version that I went through. So there's a lot of different stories in this book. It's, it's also indexed, a, Yeah. Yeah. It's a hardcover paperback. Um, where do you recommend people get vampires? Gators and Michaels. You can get it on Amazon or you can get it from the publisher, which is Wild Blue Press. Wild Blue and Press. also, uh, I have a website, frankeestanfield.com, uh, that I uh, I have blogs on there and so on. I talk about different things. I talk about writing and I talk about the importance of uh, people being involved. So, some interesting things out there. Right. And your, so, your website, your full name, Frank E. Stanfield, right? right. That's right. Dr. FrankieStanfield.com. And I'm on Thanks Facebook so and Twitter. So. Yeah, so people can find you, Frankie Stanfield Field, on Twitter, Facebook. Again, the title of the book, really fascinating. Vampires, Gators, and Wackos, A Florida Newspaper Men's Life by Frank Stanfield. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Take care. Stay there.